All right, good evening, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles tonight to Exodus 7 and 8, we'll try to get through both of these. Um, after the service tonight, we're going to take the chairs, if anybody's able to stick around and kind of help get ready. Um, and we're going to stack them in groups of four. We can't go any higher than that or they tip over. So stacks of four, and we're going to go against this wall over here and probably do two rows of four. So, you know, if that helps, and, and that will help us get ready for tomorrow. And then if we have time, we'll roll in the big round tables and get them set up in here also so we can start stacking stuff. All the tables in the center area there are going to have to be cleared off. We don't want to get you know, too busy. People will be out there walking and talking and kids and all. But if you can, we're going to clear those off also to get ready for all the furniture and the big stuff in that area. So those chairs need to be stacked as well and brought in here. And um, anything else, we're going to try to shove in those two rooms, the nursery and the nursing room. But we may need to wait till tomorrow for that as there might be kids in there tonight. So that's kind of our plan for tonight to get us ready uh, for receiving things. We've already started getting stuff. Um, we tried to hold off as much, but the barn's full and people had stuff they wanted to drop off and need, or needed our trailer to go pick up. And so we had to empty our trailer um, and put it in here. So it's going to be a good uh, garage sale, it looks like. So that's coming up Friday and Saturday. If you want to help for that, we could share yours your help. We didn't do a sign-up sheet. Normally don't need to, but um, just to let you know, if you can get here to help us for the garage sale, that'd be, we could use it. So um, anyway, all right, Exodus chapter 7 and 8. Also, I, before we get there, um, camp registrations. I keep forgetting to mention that. Get those in as soon as you can. Uh, I think we only have two so far. So um, you have one week or a week and a half anyway to get those registrations in for your kids. Please get them in and because uh, we need to order T-shirts and, and get uh, campers set up and, and counselors set up and all that. So please turn those in as soon as you can. And there's a little box out there that you can set those in. All right. Exodus chapter 7. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. So that's how I've got it set up. He said that's how it's going to start. Before they even went there, Moses was afraid that he couldn't speak. He wasn't going to be able to do it right. He says, fine. Got a, got a little upset with him and said, you can use Aaron. But he didn't want to use Aaron to begin with. If I wanted to use Aaron, God says, I would have used Aaron. I want to use you. There's a lot of excuses we can come up with for not being used by God. I'm not this and I'm not that. But God knew that before he asked you. He knew what you weren't. He wants to use what you are. And so you have to trust him. And that's part of the calling, receiving that call. It may seem humble and meek to say, I'm not worthy. Okay, but that's almost a sense of pride. You're telling God something that you didn't think he knew. I know you're not worthy. I know you're not completely equipped or qualified to do any of the things I'm about to call you to do. But I need you to be humble enough to receive my call and trust that I'm going to do the rest. And, and you may look foolish. Is that okay? You know, And it needs to be okay. You bet, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, regardless of how it makes me look or how it makes me feel. So God gave in to Moses' tantrum. And has his brother Aaron coming alongside to help him. And he says, I'm, I tell you what, I'm going to make you look like God, and I'm going to make your brother Aaron look like a prophet. Now, Aaron's three years older than he is. But that's how it works, I guess, sometimes. The younger uh, is always going to be in charge. It seems like with God's plans, it seems that he switches things up according to however he sees fit. And so he lets him know this is how it's going to be. And he's also reminded them several times that Pharaoh's not going to receive it. Now, remember how this is a type, a typology. Uh, whenever you have a New Testament truth, that's why we study the Old Testament. You have New Testament truths. Everybody thinks, well, we need to stay in the New Testament. And boy, it's been a while, hasn't it? I think I might jump up there eventually. Like maybe after Exodus, we'll go to the New Testament because it's like going to be seven years before we get there at this rate. So I may do something I don't normally do and jump over there. But whenever there's a New Testament truth, God gives us a picture of it in the Old Testament to help us to understand it. That's why we study both. You know, Jesus says, I want you to do this. What does that look like? Well, I have an Old Testament picture to show you. Here we have a picture of salvation. We have Egypt that represents the world, the world that we all were born into and were a part of and were very worldly in. We have Moses the deliverer, who's a type of Christ, pulling us out of the world, calling us out, delivering us from the world. And then we've got Pharaoh, who's a type of Satan, trying to keep us there. 
You see? And so as we go through that, keep that in mind. That's what we're witnessing here. This is what it looks like. We've got a wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. That's a believer who's been pulled out of the world but is powerless and is not walking in the power of God, walking one foot in and one foot out, wishing they were back in Egypt again. Oh, the leeks and the onions. And then you've got Joshua finally taking them from the Red Sea baptism, water baptism, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the Jordan River, and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering the land, having victory through God, just marching around Jericho and Jericho Falls. And that's what we hope to all get to and want to be. So God reminds him, I've made you like God. I've made Aaron your brother like a prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of the land, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. That's our first break. There's a lot here. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. We spend a lot of time as pastors trying to help people understand that, because inevitably, if I don't touch this point, people are going to come up here and say, what does that mean? God's going to harden their heart. You know, Can he do that? Can he make people not choose him? Can he? Well, we're going to go through a process here with Pharaoh where Pharaoh is going to be the man that he is, and he's going to say no, 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 no several times until finally God says, fine, have it your way. I'm going to make your decision firm. Several times throughout Scripture, God will say, hearken, listen while you can still hear Receive while you can still receive, because there's going to come a time when you're not going to be able to do that. He warns us of not hardening our hearts. Don't harden your hearts. We hardened them until finally God says, you know what? Have it your way. How many times do you get to receive the gospel? I don't know. I don't have that information. So I would say as long as you're still breathing, there's an opportunity to be saved, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior but I don't know how inoculated with the gospel we can become. We go to church service after church service, or we're uh, introduced or uh, to the gospel several times in our life to the point where we said, no, I don't think not yet. I think I'm going to wait a little bit longer. I'm not sure I want to go that far yet. I'm still listening and thinking it through until finally you're so hard-hearted about it that it just bounces off of you. Until finally, there is no receiving of the Holy or the, of the gospel because you harden your heart too much, and so that's where we're going to be with Pharaoh here. He's going to harden his own heart several times. He's going to fight. He's going to be stubborn. He's going to be rebellious. And the Hebrew word for that is kavod, and that's the word that's used most often through these next few chapters. Until finally, we have a different word, kavod, starts with a ch instead of a c or instead of a k to where God says, I'm done. I'm done. You're now a useful tool in my tool bag is what's going to happen. So that's the hardening of the heart. I'm going to make his decision firm. I'm going to multiply signs and wonders. Oftentimes when God wants to emphasize that his word is true, he'll do miraculous supernatural things to point out that he is in charge of all the laws of physics. And he can change them at any time he wants to. I wrote those, God says. I can suspend those if I choose to. And so he's going to do that also. And then finally, verse 5, the most important portion, I'm going to do this so that the Egyptians know that I'm the Lord. He's going to have a hard enough time convincing the Hebrews that he's the Lord, truly going to deliver them, and they're going to argue with him. I think they know who he is, but is he capable is what their question is going to be. But as far as the rest of the world's going to go, remember, Egypt is like a melding pot. There's tons of other people there. There's Ethiopians there. There's all sorts of people there. I want this land of Egypt to know that I'm the Lord. I want the world to know. I'm not just interested in saving Israel, although I am. It's much bigger than that. 
I want the world to know. I want the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt. He is going to systematically, through these ten plagues, attack each and every one of their gods that they hold so dear in Egypt. They worship the Nile. They worship frogs. They worship lice. They worship flies. They worship all sorts of things. And he's going to knock them all down like dominoes here. And he needs to. Sometimes we need that. We need that God in our life to be knocked flat on its back before we actually realize this has no power. This is not helping me in the least. I need to get rid of it. I need to be worshiping the true and living God. Some scriptures. Mark chapter 8, verse 17. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? He's upset with the disciples for wondering, oh, Jesus is mad that we didn't bring bread. Why are you still hardened? He expects us to not be hardened. In other words, I bring this scripture up to show that it is us that hardens our heart or softens our heart. We can do that. We have that ability. Psalm 95.8, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, the psalmist writes, please don't harden your hearts to God. As a Christian, um, my heart was soft at one point to where I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. But even as a Christian, I can get hard. And God needs to systematically or at times step into my life and plow up the soil of my heart. I need to let him do that. And not be embarrassed about that or not think that that's a sign of weakness in my walk with him anyway. Like I'm not supposed to be broken at this stage in my walk with Jesus. Of course we are. We should all be broken. If I want him to still work in my life, I still need to be broken now and then of certain things. I assume I'm still in class. I assume I still have things to learn about what it means to walk with Jesus. I need to be that student constantly. Even as a teacher, you're still a student. You're still learning. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want you to be my witnesses. We, we get that confused sometimes. The nation of Israel is going to be a witness to the world. They're not witnessing to the world. We change those words around. We need to go out and be witnessing to people, street witnessing. We use those different terms, and that's fine. But I want to be the witness. I want people to look and see that's what God does with a broken, ruined life. He restores it and makes it whole and new again. And so I am a living witness, and Paul even says that to us. We are living epistles. We read the epistles. Those are all the letters that Paul wrote and Peter wrote and James wrote and John wrote. Those are epistles that we read. Epistles by the apostles. But Paul says that we're living epistles. In other words, he's not done writing. It's a little disconcerting, isn't it, to think that you are a living epistle of God. That his word is being written in your life. That people are watching your, they may never crack a Bible open, but they're reading you from cover to cover. You're a living epistle of God. Here's where you were, and here's where he took them. And the story of God is written in your life. And what he can do. Paul says you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Part of that is sharing Jesus and telling people of the Savior throughout all the earth. Verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses... And Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, show a miracle for yourselves, because he's going to, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. It's a pretty cool trick. Remember, he learned that at the bush. He's also got the leprosy thing that he hasn't done yet. So throw this stick down, it's become a serpent. That's interesting how many times that, that picture comes up in Scripture. It comes up again later on when the serpents go through and begin to bite everybody. The nation of Israel is rebellious in the wilderness, and the snakes come through as a, as a plague of God, actually, upon them. 
And Moses pleads for the people and stands and intercedes for them. He says, now take your stick and make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and stick it high up. And so we've got this other picture. Later on, Jesus says, I am that serpent. I will become sin for man and put on that pole up. If I am high and lifted up, just like that serpent did in the wilderness, and anybody that looks to me, they'll be saved, just like that serpent. You see this picture again here. So they did the trick, the miracle, but Pharaoh also called his wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in the like manner with their enchantments. So they really did become snakes, you know. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did it, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Big deal. My guys can make sticks into snakes too. Yours ate them up. That's weird, but not weird enough to make me let you go. You know, it's funny how God does that. Good trick. Eat them, you know. Have been a weird thing to see. We had two snakes yesterday. My cat caught one. I, this makes no difference. But I, as I'm studying here and I'm and I'm teaching you guys, I'm like, that is weird that we had two snakes yesterday. As I'm getting ready to teach this study right now, no, I didn't pick them up by the tail to see what would happen. But now that I think about it, it'd been kind of cool. Stick? No, still not a still snake. You know. And then later on that night after my cat, I see my neighbor out there in the middle of Market Street. It's probably 11 o'clock at night, and I'm driving somewhere. I don't know what I'm doing out that late, going to church on my rut down Market, then take a right on 7th, and then down. You know, that's just what I do. I see him out there with his hoe in the middle of Market, going like this. <laughs> so I pull up, and he looks at me, you know, just this old guy in his nice hat, and he, he looks at me, and I said, going on <laughs> you know? this guy came from over there and he's coming into my yard and he's still whacking this all right you need me to run him over no i think i got him i said okay have a nice night you know have a nice night good guy great neighbor great neighbor killing snakes for us in the neighborhood <laughs> 11 o'clock at night there he is okay so what's with these guys being able to do this trick I'm not going to avoid that. It is weird. How come they can do the same thing? That bothers me. It should bother us all. When I have Bible studies with the kids, I think those are some of the best times we have is when we ask these tough questions. So what's with that? How, co how come they can do that, Dad? I know. It's wrong. They shouldn't be able to do that. Only God should be able to do these miracles. Only God should be able to do these signs and wonders. How do I know then? I mean, if everybody can make sticks into snakes and snakes into sticks, what's the difference? This is common in Scripture. In fact, let me read some verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 14. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. That's a warning for us. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church saying, it's not uncommon for people to transform themselves who aren't but pretend to be actually apostles of Christ, but they're not. Okay, so now your antenna are up or need to be in this Bible study or any Bible study or any church, or any pulpit, or any TV program, or anything, what I'm watching, just because they say Jesus, doesn't mean they're who they say they are. Doesn't make them qualified. Doesn't mean this isn't a cult. Doesn't mean that isn't a cult. How do we know then? Good. We go by God's word. When you depart from the word of God, Anybody in any place can become a cult or can become a person disguised as an apostle of Christ. You have to have God's word. It is our standard. It's the benchmark. We, gov we, we built this country based off of the same principle. We will have laws and we will have paper documents that everybody has to match up to. Otherwise, they're not a patriot. 
very important. And those that want to change those documents of old, I wonder about them. That's a red flag for me. Likewise, anybody that wants to take part of God's word and discount it or say it's for then, not for now, they remove it. It's not actually the final authority. Red flags should be popping up. Paul warns of that. And this is at the beginning of the church. It's nothing new. Even when the Corinthians had just started their church and were inviting guest speakers to come in who were charging them exorbitant fees, although Paul, the founder of that church, never charged them a fee, they thought Paul was less qualified to teach at their church because he wasn't charging fees. These guys charge $1,000 to speak. They must be good. That was their justification for letting them come talk. He's got to be. He's super popular. Matthew chapter 24, 24, Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. This is before the church began. Jesus is warning about this stuff. By the way, look out, because there's going to be antichrists, false Christs. Not, see, I think of the Antichrist as someone who's just going to be, I mean, red suit, horns, pointy tail, pitchfork, right? Please be that easy to identify. Not the case. He's going to look just like Jesus. He's going to have smooth, flattering words. He's going to be soft-spoken. He's going to wear cool jeans, cool T-shirts. He's going to be cool. He's not going to be weird and wacky. He's not going to be bizarre. He's going to be smooth. And he's going to do lying signs, lying wonders to deceive. So the miracles, the signs, and the wonders are not how we identify someone who is truly of God. It's what they say. It's what they say. It's what they teach. Is it from God's word or isn't it? We are so easily manipulated by the miraculous. And these things are here to show us, look, even back with Egypt, they were able to do the miraculous and match God, miracle for miracle. Now, later on, they're not going to do so well. We'll read through a few of those tonight. It's kind of humorous. He's going to make lice, and all his guys can do is make more lice. <laughs> you, as Pharaoh, you got to be like, okay, can you take them away? I would prefer less lice. No, we can't do that. We can make more. Well, they're making more on their own. They, they're, you know, <laughs> uh, can you take them away? No. We can only imitate what we've seen. Satan is a deceiver by imitation. He can only admit, he has no creative ability at all. Satan cannot create, but he can imitate. Mark 13, 22, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to, see, to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Yes, the exact same thing, but in another gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, the coming of the lawless one, or the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Being born again is our first line of defense. So it gives us that spidey sense. It gives us that understanding. Something about this is wrong. I know it's a miracle. I know they got healed. I know something happened, but something about this is wrong. That's the Holy Spirit testifying, giving you that witness, giving you that check in your spirit. You ever have that? I don't know what it is, but I got a check. That's how I describe it anyway. Does God speak to you? Kind of. Not audibly, but I get funny feelings in my gut. It's like, mm, I don't know what it is. It's wrong. All I know is I got to pray about it. Could be the Lord. Could be. I'm never perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's discernment is just perfect. But I do know this. I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray about this because I don't know about this. It doesn't feel right to me. Oh, I was wrong. Willing to admit that all day long. 
but I always pay attention to those checks in my spirit. I pay attention to my wife's check in her spirit too. Well, I don't know. I think it's okay if we do that. She goes, hmm. And she sees things I don't see. I pay attention to that. I pay attention to that. God's given her to me for a reason. And likewise, she pays attention to that for me. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like the lamb and spoke like a dragon. There's the difference. And he exercises all authority, all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who's wounded, who was wounded by the sword and lived. So there was an assassination attempt of this person. They survived it miraculously and now are able to do signs and wonders. Isn't that interesting how closely that matches our Messiah Jesus? An imitator. The Antichrist will try to imitate everything and every aspect about him. He's going to speak like a dragon. He's going to make an image. And he's going to have people worship him. There's my red flag. How do I know? He's doing miracles. He's doing. He's asking you to worship him. You know we're not supposed to do that. We only worship Jesus. We only worship the Lord. We don't worship anybody else. And anybody that says to worship me, I am not going to do that. No. Finally, Revelation 19.20, Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So at least we know their end, right? And can I pause for a minute and talk about the mark of the beast? It has nothing to do with our passage. To receive the mark of the beast, the way the Bible describes it, you have to renounce Christ and worship Satan. When you put a chip in your dog, your dog has not received the mark of the beast. If you were to even put a chip inside of you, you have not received the mark of the beast. I think it's a bad idea. I think it's a step in the wrong direction for sure. I think it's a precursor to for what's going to happen here. But you have not received the mark of the beast. If they don't say, by the way, before I do this, before you can buy or sell anything with this chip that I'm putting into your body now, you have to reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and worship this new Antichrist right here. Now, if you raise your hand and say, I do, I renounce Christ as my Lord and Savior, I want to buy and sell at Walmart all I can, or Amazon or whatever, and if that's what it takes, I renounce Christ. Okay, now you've received the mark of the beast and you're in huge trouble. But that's what that is. So don't, as Christians, we've got to know, we've got to be smart, not be those weird reactionary people. Now, I'm not going to let people do that to my children. I don't, but I know what it means. We, we've got to know what God's word says. God's word protects me from being foolish like that because I know what it says. Now, I, that being said, <laughs> Now it's on Facebook. <laughs> Calvary Chapel just said, take the mark of the beast. I knew it the whole time. It's not what I said. I said, don't renounce Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Put the little tile chip in your backpack for your kids so you can track them on your phone. That's a great idea nowadays, considering there's human trafficking going on all over the world. I want to know where my kid's at. There's nothing, there's nothing beastie about that, okay? Know your word. Know what God's word says and warns us about. Yes, it's probably a precursor. I admit that. And we're probably on our way to that. And this is the next logical step. I understand that. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. But it isn't the mark of the beast. We haven't seen anything. Guys, if you're around to see the mark of the beast being implemented, you need to check your salvation. Because a rapture takes place prior to that. All the believers get removed from the earth before the Antichrist can even rise to power. If you meet the Antichrist or think you know who it is, you're in trouble in your salvation. 
God is keeping us from that hour of trial. He's pulling us out. He removes us like Enoch was removed from the earth before the flood. We're raptured and taken home. We watch the seven-year great tribulation period from a heavenly perspective. Revelation tells us that. No. Chapter 4 of Revelation, we get raptured. Chapter 6 is the beginning of the great tribulation period. How do we come back on white horses in 19 if we haven't been taken home prior to that? Well, there's a mid-trib view too. If there's a mid-trib view, then you can know exactly when that's going to happen. You know when the rapture is going to take place. And Scripture tells us that you can't know when that's going to happen. Mid-trib means three and a half years into it. That means once the Antichrist rises to power, we can start a stopwatch and know to the day when it's going to take place. And Scripture tells us we're not to know that. Jesus didn't even know that. So how can it be a surprise? How can it be vanishing if it's not prior? It's prior. And every Calvary Chapel teaches that, just so you know it's not just me. All 1,300 worldwide Calvary Chapels believe that and teach that. It's common. Okay, back to the text. His heart grew hard. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, and when he goes out to the water, you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let me, or let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand. They shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. This is not a red algae. This is not some red mud that drifted down from the mountains during a flood. I can't believe how many Christians feel like they need to justify or explain away the miracles of God. I love the miracles of God. I love the fact that it was water and now it's icky, sticky, gross blood. I embrace that. I love that about my father. He does that. It's not mud. It's not red algae. They didn't go across the Sea of Reeds. They went across the Red Sea, the deep part. All of the Egyptians drowned in that. So it's not a foot of water. It's just funny how we try to explain stuff away, and God makes sure you can try, but I'm going to make sure you look foolish in doing so because I'm God and I can make water into blood. If he can make water into wine, if he can raise people from the dead, if he can cause blind people to see and deaf people to hear, then he can certainly make water into blood if he wants to. And he did. It's a beautiful thing. I don't want to explain it away. So he did it. Even the buckets of wood. Pictures of wine. So you're like, oh, well, at least I got some in the, in the fridge here, which they didn't have, but it's kind of funny to say so. That's some lemonade. I'm going to pass. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of, the, of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the rivers were turned to blood. And the fish that were in the rivers died, and the rivers stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So when someone tells you that, oh, look, it's a... It's a red tide. There's red, there's red in the ocean. It's the, it's the beginning of the plagues. It's the beginning of the end. Now, when you see water turn to blood, yeah, you probably better pay attention. When we have a red algae bloom or we have some red mud in the waters, that's not it. It's going to be just like this. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be something like we've never seen before. We talk about earthquakes, we talk about volcanoes, we talk about these things happening. It's like, oh man, here it is, here it is. No, I mean, when it happens, 
No one's going to have any doubt about it. This has never been seen before. Never has there been such a great tribulation. We've had tribulations with a small T. We've never had this capital T stuff ever. It's going to be huge. Islands removed, mountains displaced. We saw Mount St. Helens, the top of it blow off. Everybody went, oh, there it is. No, 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 no. And when the whole thing goes and 75,000 other mountains get this, you know, okay, n- now, you know, it's going to be huge, huge. This is localized, what we're reading here. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. Look, we can make water into blood too. That didn't help. And he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river of water to drink, because they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So somehow or another, they got some fresh water and were able to finish it off by uh, drinking different portions, I guess. They could dig a little well by by the water. I don't know how that works. And the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. They worship frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into your houses of your servants, on your people, into your, I mean, he's getting detailed here, in your ovens and into your kneading bowls and frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. I mean, they're everywhere. That's kind of gross. My kids can't stand June bugs this time of year. We see a June bug on our porch. I hear that screen door just slam and I'm by myself out there. I'm like, just a bug. they, They cling to you though. Imagine these frogs. I mean, you can't step without slipping on one. You know, I, I, I got to make it gross, right? Because that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to make it gross. I mean, it's going to be in your bed. You're going to slide your feet down and go, oh, there's 12 in my bed or 100 in my bed. And you step out. Can you imagine the noise? You hear the noise. Everybody's going, oh, stop, stop. <laughs> I know. I'm smiling because that's my God's idea of a joke. You want some frogs? You want to worship frogs? I'm going to give you frogs. So many frogs, you're going to hate your God, you know? Everywhere. You can take your kneading bowl and dump them out and try to, and they keep hopping in. Oh, it's going to be everywhere. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, cause the frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. The noise must have been just deafening. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did so with their enchantments. Let me add another layer of frogs. See, we can do it too. And brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Now, Pharaoh's got to be looking at these guys saying, you know, you're not much help here. Maybe if I sacrificed you to the frog god, they'd go away. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me, because these guys can't. I added that. It doesn't say that. From my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Just get rid of the frogs, man. You can go. And Moses said to Pharaoh, according, or, or sorry, he said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you. Now he's showing off for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you in your houses that they may remain in the river only. And he said tomorrow. You know how many of his guys wanted to smack him at that point? I know you're Pharaoh and all, but how about now? You know? Make them go away tomorrow. Not the brightest crayon in the box here. Let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God and the frogs shall depart from you from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, out of the fields. Did you catch that? They just died. Snow shovels full of these things cleaning out your house, 
They didn't crawl back to the officer. There's piles of them now. Have you ever smelled a dead thing before? Got to figure out where that, our cat is a hunter. This wonderful cat that I saved from certain death and trained him and made him not feral anymore now brings every dead thing he can bring into my home because he loves me. That's what the internet says anyway. He's showing his love for me. Well, thanks a lot. Yep, you got another one. Sometimes we come up, we came home from church last Wednesday and we hear this horrible screaming sound from inside our garage. The garage door was open, the light was on. I walk in, there's this tiny little robin bird going, and there's my cat just going swish, staring at this thing. Good job, buddy. So I got the bird and took it out, and the next morning, feathers all over the garage. So apparently didn't get him far enough away from the house. But you smell that smell, you know you've got to do something about it because it's going to be a long time before it goes. Imagine the entire nation full of dead frogs. Quiet, (laughs) but piles of this amphibians everywhere. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out, and they all died. Um, out of the houses, out of the courtyards, out of the fields, they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. <laughs> what a great word for the Bible. It stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, <laughs> he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Now, I don't know who's giving him advice right now. Hey, they're all dead. What are they going to do now? Bring them back? Well, I mean, he could. Well, let's see. And he says, no. He hardened his heart and said, no. Got you to do what I wanted to do. Chapter 8, verse 15 is my next break here. 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Why do I bring that up now? Because I hate my current climate. I hurt my situation. I hate the fact that there are frogs. Please, God, help me out of this frog problem. And when the frog problem's gone, so is my obedience to God. So many people are darkening the door of churches because of COVID, darkening the door of churches because of riots, they're darkening the door of churches because of economic disaster and weird things happening all over the world. But what happens if it all gets cleared up? Oof, good. I can go back to my life now. Stop this worship stuff. This do other things. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. When I repent, when I start walking with the Lord, there ought to be fruit in my life. There ought to be evidence of the fact that I'm starting to walk in obedience to God. I can't just stay. I raised my hands. I came forward at church. We don't do that here, but sometimes we may. I don't know if we'll do it someday. I came forward. I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. Don't say that God's your Father. He can make stones into kids if he feels like it. We need to have fruit. There needs to be evidence. That's what James is all about. Our entire camp is based on that. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Don't just sit and gather Bible studies. Don't just show up. Don't just attend a church and feel like that's enough. No, you need to come to Christ and surrender your life to him. The fruit of knowing that you did that will be obedience and a changed life. You won't be doing those things you used to do anymore. You've been delivered from those things. Matthew 21, verses 28 through 30. Well, what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not, but afterwards regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise, and he answered, I go, sir, but he didn't go. Which one's being obedient? The one who said no at first but ended up going. That's the obedient one, not the one who stands up and said, Yes, 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 and then doesn't. You see? Pharaoh's in that place. He's in a stubborn place of rebellion. I just want my problems to go away. And when they do, I'm back to the old Pharaoh again. I'm back to live my own life. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land, so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now you think the frogs are bad. The dust has become lice. Just through Egypt, though. 
And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, the magicians also worked their enchantments to bring forth lice. These guys are a bunch of clowns. <laughs> so there were lice on man and beast. <laughs> I, I, I know I've already laughed about this. I just, I'm just picturing Pharaoh's face. You know, Great job, guys. More lice. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart grew hard. Oh, wait, they couldn't do it. Now, the magicians so worked their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. Sorry, this is the one where they couldn't. And so now they say it's the finger of God. Still a bunch of clowns. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The blood thing, the frog thing, not God. Stick thing, not God. Lice, this has got to be the Lord. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them. Just as the Lord had said, I'm tired of listening to you guys. Now, this is Janice and Jambres. We know that from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 8, that these jokers, these uh, clowns are Janice and Jambres. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell and that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I'll make a distinction there. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this shall be, or this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies, but not in, not in their people. Now, he begins to make a distinction here between his people. They begin to get some relief from all this. Now, um, I don't know if they hadn't noticed it before or if he'd been doing this all along, but he makes sure that Pharaoh understands that, that I can, I can just draw a line if I want to. And harm can come to you. And, and I take refuge in, in scriptures like these. I, I fell for Y2K, and I've told you about that before. When I, I mean, I just was saved. I was just, you know, I, I started prepping and preparing for the great crash of the year 2000 when all the computers aren't going to be able to recognize code anymore, you know. And I oh, researched it, and I had other strong believers encouraging, saying, yep, we, we, I know a lot about computers, and this is going to happen. I'm like, okay, all right, here we go. Even bought a car with a carburetor instead of a fuel-injected system. I went that far. I was that guy, you know. And then 1201 hit midnight, and everything was fine. And I tried to justify it and all. And I remember what Pastor Chuck, had, Pastor Chuck, this Pastor Chuck Smith, went to a conference before this all happened in the midst of my panic. And he had said, I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm sure it's going to be fine. I mean, he's gotten me this far. If he can take care of a prophet by feeding him with ravens and stuff, then I'm sure I'm going to be okay in this whole thing. And if not, I guess I'm going home to be with the Lord. I'm like, well, you know, the ant preparus. And I start quoting scripture under my breath to this man of God. I didn't say it to him personally, but in my heart going, yeah, okay, you could say that. I'm doing the right thing. I was wrong. And if I'd read scripture and I'd see what God does for his people, I'd protect you. No, I'm, no, no. I can even make flies like stop and not come into your house if I want to. I can make sure you have food even though the unbeliever is suffering. I can make sure that you're taken care of. This is universal and this is worldwide. Our God is the same God on this continent as he is on any other place in the whole world. He can do this. And will do this if he sees fit to do this. And so we see another example of that, that God protects people. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God in the land. Get out of here. But I want you to do it here in Egypt, not there. It's the first compromise we see. The first bait thrown out to Moses and Aaron. I'm going to let you go, but I don't want you to go too far. In fact, I want you to stay in our boundaries of Egypt. Don't be going to the wilderness like you said. You just stay right here. He's going to do this a couple times. You can go without your kids. 
whatever. Not to take that compromise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Therefore, he says to them, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. He's quoting. Paul is quoting there. When God calls me out of the world, which is Egypt here, he calls me out of the world. Don't be worshiping me in the world, living amongst it and being a part of it and partaking in it. I want you to come out of that world. I want you to be separate. I want you to be different. I don't want you to try to just attend. I want you to worship and be different from all the other people of the world. You are a peculiar people. You're supposed to look different and be different and act different. And Moses said, it is not right to do so. Not taking the compromise. For we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, and he will uh, command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Uh, intercede for me. Pray for me. God doesn't want me to pray for you. He wants you to pray, Pharaoh. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, there's more coming if you pull this again. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. At this time also, neither would he let the people go. So guess what? The next plagues are coming. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten are coming. Because you didn't let them go. Lord, we thank you for our time in your word tonight. We thank you for... The laughs, we can see your humor, but we can also see your purpose and plan. I don't know what's going on with the Hebrews this whole time. We're, they're silent. We don't really see a reaction from them. They're sitting back wondering what in the world. But they are seeing you move. They are seeing your hand on their behalf. They are seeing the Egyptians pay for unbelief. They're seeing the Egyptians struggle in keeping a hold of them. And that's encouraging to them until finally they're going to be able to leave here. And we thank you that you've done that in our lives, Lord. You do battle for us. You're our protector. You're our deliverer. You take care of all those other so-called gods out there that seemingly have a hold on us, but they don't. You deliver us out of the hand of every single one of them. So we thank you for that deliverance. We thank you for protecting us and watching out for us and keeping us. Even in the middle of Egypt, they're all being kept and protected. And harm is not coming to them. So Lord, we follow you and we worship you tonight as Aaron prayed and we sang songs about that. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us and what you're doing for us and for what you will do for us. We trust you completely. You bring us peace. You give us a peace that surpasses understanding when the world's in a panic and an uproar. When they look on our faces as we look at your face, they should see peace, God. Help us to have that and continue to walk that way, to be witnesses in this world, especially during these trying times. This is our time to shine, to reflect you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for using us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.